All right. It's good to be back. I was gone for a couple weeks, so it's good to see everybody again. Today, we are going to finish up talking about the gift of prophecy. It's already on. All right. Let's go over what we talked about last time, because it's been a few weeks. So last time I was up here, we talked about what the gift of prophecy is not. And we did that by looking at the characteristics of false prophets. We talked about how they may look like the real thing, like they do the miracles, they do the things, and it can all be really impressive. But we also talked about how over time, everything produces fruit, right? It produces good fruit or it produces bad fruit. And uh, over time, we can watch uh, the production of that fruit, and it will tell us something about the quality of the tree itself. Um, And we discussed a couple scripture references that talked about how false prophets are often involved in depravity. They encourage people to sexual immorality and fleshly living in general, rather than building them up in Jesus. Those that follow them are ultimately led astray. That all sounds super grim when I summarize it, (laughs) but that's what we talked about last time. Um, And today we're going to wrap up talking about this. So uh, when I first started this whole gift of prophecy series, I just quickly jotted down an outline for every Sunday and uh, I sort of just followed and filled out, built out that outline and for this last Sunday, I had a few things jotted down. And as I started to build it out, I'm like, oh, I don't really know what I'm going to do with this. <laughs> um, so I struggled a little bit to figure out how should I finish this. And I think there's a reason why I struggled with it a bit. How to end this. I feel like at the end of this is where I tell you, where I give you the part that says, this is how to know if you have the gift of prophecy. Because I feel like that's what people are often looking for. Like, tell me how I know if this is what I'm supposed to be doing. What are the signs that I have the gift of prophecy? And other than those characteristics that we've talked about already as I've gone through this that are in Scripture, I'm not really comfortable (laughs) coming up with a list of those types of signs. Um, It's really difficult for me to think about what it looks like for Holy Spirit to manifest in people that all look different. Um, I don't want to give you a description that in any way puts that in a box, at least not a description that's outside of Scripture that comes from my own interpretations or my own mind, Um, because I don't want anyone to hear my description and think, well, I don't fit that, so I must be ruled out. So I think that can look a lot of different ways. So I don't want to do that. Also, I I feel like if I begin to describe to you, this is what it might look like if you have the gift of prophecy. What I'm going to do is just describe the people I know that are prophetic. I know that's what I'm going to go to, and I don't think that's helpful or what needs to happen. I just don't want to draw those lines too close and rule anyone out. Um, Also, I feel like this is the part of this talk where we do some sort of activation. And I don't know how much experience you have with um, charismatic gifts teaching and things like that. I I have just very minimal experience with that type of thing with an activation. And what that looks like, um, at least as I've experienced it, and I think there's all different different kinds, um, is where we would just bow our heads and pray, and we would just say, Lord, we're going to trust you 
to speak prophetically through each of us, everyone here. And then we finish praying, and then you turn to the person to your left and you prophesy. Um, again, that's not the only way people do it, but that's kind of the way I've experienced it. And I'm not trying to uh, be critical of other people or say that that's totally wrong. I'm just not confident in that method. Um, I'm just, I'm just not. And uh, I'm not confident enough of my own knowledge to do something like that. And I would feel like I was meddling and uh, I just not, that could be my own shortcoming. <laughs> I just am not confident to do that. Um, so what can we do? How can we end? We know that we're supposed to desire spiritual gifts. We've definitely established that, right? We know that. We desire them not for their own sake, but for the sake of building up the church and for glorifying God. So here's my hope. My hope that is, as you've listened to me talk about the gift of prophecy, my hope is that Holy Spirit is right there with you because he is. And that he's speaking to you as you listen to these biblical examples of people prophesying. As you listen to the biblical examples of what happens when the gift of prophecy is operating. My hope is that he speaks to you. And he guides you into using whatever spiritual gift you've been given. Whether that's the gift of prophecy or something else. I want him to do that prompting. I want that to be something that he brings to you, not necessarily a label that you received from me or somebody else, but I want him to do that prompting and him to speak to you and come alongside you and whisper in your ear, hey, doesn't this make sense to you? You know, those, those types of things. So if he is speaking to you about the gift of prophecy or about anything else, if you feel that stirring up in you, I want to come alongside you in that. I want to see those things having a place to operate. Um, I want to pray with you about that. So if that's you, I want to talk to you about it. I want to pray with you about it. But I, I want that prompting to come from him. So what will we do today? How are we going to end? I do think there is something of an application or an activation, just not in maybe a traditional sense. And I think that comes from the context that surrounds all of these conversations about spiritual gifts in the New Testament, they're not really talked about all that much for as much emphasis as they can get sometimes. It's, there's, it's more played out in the narrative than it is spelled out letter for letter in the New Testament. But every time it is spelled out, there's a very specific context that surrounds it, and I think that's important for us to look at. So we'll do that today. We're going to start in 1 Corinthians because 1 Corinthians has probably the bulk of the stuff about spiritual gifts. We're just going to work our way through this and see what we come out with. We'll start here in chapter 12. Now, there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God works all of them in each person. You see, that's what I'm talking about, about the variation of how things look. There's different things, there's different people, but it's the Spirit that unifies all of them. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by one Spirit. To another, the performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. 
One and the same spirit is active in all of these, distributing to each person as he wills. So let's talk a little bit about the background of the Corinthian church, because it's really important. These people were active in the spiritual gifts. Also, they were very divided and very dysfunctional. Some people, uh, some gifts were being valued over others, and that was leading to them valuing some people over other people. So Paul is emphasizing here, not only does this contain one of our lists of the spiritual gifts, but Paul is also emphasizing here that the same spirit is working in all of them, no matter what the gift is, and that those gifts are distributed according to the Lord's will. I know we've done this a million times, but nobody merits anything that the Lord gives to them. It is a gift. You don't earn it because you're good enough for it. That's just not how it goes. Something I find interesting about this is that this is a church that has the gifts functioning. They have these things happening, but still, I mean, they have these things functioning that are supposed to be building up the church, making it look more like Jesus. It's still, they have all these problems. They have these functioning gifts, but it's not solving all of their problems. Something else is missing. And it's like, as much as people seek after the gifts to be functioning in their body, and I think that's really important, we have this example here of them coming in power, and still there's this massive dysfunction. And the Lord is not being glorified, and people are not being built up. So what's, what's the problem? There's a deeper level here that has to be corrected before those gifts can serve their purposes. And we can learn from their example to prioritize that foundation like they didn't. Why not get that foundation right rather than going and digging everything up and having to redo it? So I'll get to that foundation here in just a minute, and that's really where I see that application piece coming in. For now, we're just going to keep moving through the context of this conversation around spiritual gifts. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body— It is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. It is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? This is one of the things that we find in the context of spiritual gifts conversations, the body. It appears again and again and again. We'll look at a little chart later and see how it keeps coming up. When the spiritual gifts are being talked about, the body is being talked about. And the metaphor of the church being a body, it breaks down the ideas of individualism when it comes to the church. Um, I think that when left alone, I know, let me just speak for myself. As a modern American Christian, when I'm left to my own devices, I tend to get very individualistic. You know, I think about me, I think about me and my life, 
the things that I have going on, me and my relationship with Jesus, you know, uh, me and him. I think about me and my behaviors and all that stuff, me and my self-checkout machine. You know, it can get really individualized. But the problem is when you remove yourself from the context of the body, when you, even when you remove yourself and your thinking to a certain extent, it has an effect because we all have something to contribute to the body through the spirit. We are so intimately connected that the word says that when one part of the body suffers, the others suffer. And when one part rejoices, the others rejoice. And we've talked before about how you're not your own, right? You were bought with a price. You belong to Jesus. And to a certain extent, you're not your own. You belong to your brothers and sisters. You know, for all a part of the body, we're interdependent. Um, we function together. Um, to a certain extent, we belong to each other when we're in Jesus. Think about the way that your body works and how interdependent it is. If you step on a nail, you don't just stand there and wait for your foot to deal with it on its own. Your eyes tend to the problem. Your nerves sense the pain. Your hands go to your foot and they remedy the situation. Your whole body works together. So the body metaphor, which is always present around these spiritual giftings, reminds us, you know, it's not just about me and my gifting, me and Jesus, and it's about how am I serving the body? How am I working in interdependence with my brothers and sisters? It reminds us that our choices and our cooperation with Holy Spirit, it affects our brothers and sisters. We've all got to take our places, and we've got to be others-focused to serve the body. Also, it reminds us that while we're united by the Spirit, we're not uniform. We don't all look the same. You know, I think there can be such a tendency when we're struggling with our confidence in the Spirit to function in the gifts to look at other people and just say, well, I'm not like that. I can't do that. I can't pray like that. I can't, you know, I'm just this. First of all, everybody's got to start somewhere. And second of all, who says you got to look like anybody else? You know, it's all about faith. Just take that first step. And go out and, yeah, trust the Lord and you will grow in it. And you're not going to look the same as you did when you first started. And that's okay. We don't have to look like everybody else. Um, even though we're different from each other and we're going to look different and the way we manifest the gifts is going to look different, uh, we all have to honor each other, we love each other, and we serve one another. That's the key. Well, let's keep going. So we've got the body metaphor present in the context. And let's keep moving forward here in verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, leading various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all do miracles, do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. So this could be a whole sermon on its own, but I didn't want to skate past it. So I'm just going to give you a little, a few thoughts on this section of verses here. Um, this list appears to list the gifts in a way that is related to importance. I mean, if you read it first, second, and it goes on down this line. Um, is that what's really happening? So that could be, especially considering how Paul contrasts prophecy and tongues later in chapter 14. Uh, this could just be situational 
and meant specifically for the Corinthian church at the time because they had a real problem with they were valuing tongues over prophecy because to them it was more impressive. What really throws a wrench in the gears as seeing this as an order of importance statement is that not all the lists are the same. So if it was just an order of importance statement forever, other giftings lists don't, they're not the same. They list things in a different order. Some things are removed. Some things are added. Um, So it's hard to tell. There's lots of different opinions on exactly what is going on there. Like I said, that could be entirely another sermon, and I don't really know the answer. (laughs) So I'm not going to focus much on that today. So I thought what I would say for today is that you submit to the Lord and you you seek earnestly from him to build up the church as best you can through him. Uh, I think that's a general important thing to do. So what do I really want to hit on from this group of verses is the last verse. Verse 31. I want you to take note of where we are in scripture. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31. What happens next? 1 Corinthians 13. Oh, don't you just love 1 Corinthians 13? That's the love chapter, right? It's so poetic. It's so beautiful. And we're about to transition right into the love chapter. And that chapter 13 is often removed from the whole book of 1 Corinthians, taken out of the center, the sandwich that is chapter 12 and chapter 14, and set aside on its own as this dissertation on love. And it can stand as that. It's really beautiful. And it tells us a lot about what love looks like. But Paul is interrupting his whole conversation about spiritual gifts and just inserting This whole love thing, right in between 12 and 14, which is all about spiritual gifts. There's a reason that he does it. It's it's important. It's there for a reason. Let's look at a few different ways that verse 31 can be translated. There's a few different ways this statement um, can be worded. And there's three styles. So this first one, the imperative, is what we usually see in most of our translations. But desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. It's the statement of fact. Um, And it's an instruction. Desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. The second way, and the the second most popular, is indicatively. Um, You do desire the greater gifts. And I will show you an even better way. See how it's just slightly different. It's just a little different. Um, I'm telling you that I see that you desire the greater gifts. And now I'm going to show you an even better way in relation to that because of that. This last one really intrigued me when I came across this. And this is interrogatively. I think I have the right emphasis on the right syllables. Interrogatively. Interrogatively. This is where it's worded as a question. Do you desire the greater gifts? And I will show you an even better way. This really connected chapter 12 to chapter 13 for me. Think of it as someone asking you this question, okay? So I'm going to ask you, do you desire the greater gifts? You know what your answer should be, right? Your answer should be yes. (laughs) That's our answer. So when someone says, do you desire the greater gifts, and you say yes, then you should really take interest 
in the even better way that he follows that question up with. Do you desire the greater gifts? Yes. And I will show you an even better way. I'm going to connect this next thing to your desire for the gifts, which you should have. If you want that, then it's connected to this next thing that I'm going to say. We've established that we belong to him, and to some extent, we belong to each other. We should desire to build each other up the best way possible. So if your answer is yes, then you should concern yourself with this even better way. And the better way is love. It stands to reason that loving like Jesus is at least one element of activation of not just the gift of prophecy, but of all spiritual giftings. Especially considering that without love, the Corinthian church has taught us without love, the gifts can't even have the effect that they're intended to have. They're just rendered as noise. So without love, you have it just to have it and be cool. And that's not what we're here for. So it seems to me that this deeper foundation of love serves as an activation application when it comes to the spiritual gifts. So let's just look... At chapter 13, I'm just going to read through it. And instead of thinking about like marriage or things you've heard at weddings or even friendships or whatever, just think about how this is right in the center of the spiritual gifts conversation. If I speak human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clinging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, And if I have all the faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So think about how that description of what love is, what it is not, how it completely diffuses and addresses everything we talked about last time about false prophets. You can't operate in love and do the things that they do. Like what we talked about last time. That's not how it works. It renders that. It's like its own test. You know, if you're going to do those things, then you're not operating in love. And that's not real. So notice here, he emphasizes, and there's not a mistake, or it's not just by chance, that Paul emphasizes tongues going away, prophecy going away, and knowledge going away. And he talks about all of these things being in part. Because the Corinthian church is having a problem with tongues and prophecy, which is going to come up in chapter 14. And the Corinthian church thinks of themselves as very wise and very knowledgeable. And by pointing out all of that, by highlighting those things, he's saying, even though you have these very sought-after things, you have neglected something even more important. 
you'd do well to go back and remedy that thing you don't have, which is love, or else all of your gifts mean nothing anyway. He doesn't tell them, don't do the gifts. You need to stop. He says, you need to go back and fix your love. Like, you have a real problem. And the things I've given you, you're just pilfering. You're just using for your own glorification. And it's disgusting. So do it with the correct foundation, and then it serves its purpose, which is to build up the church and Jesus. Notice that he puts this in the first person. (laughs) It's like, you know, I always, I think of Paul as being this, you know, obviously upper level person. And he's, he's talking about this, like, no one is exempt from this. This is the calling of all Christians to be conformed to the character of Jesus and to love like he loves. Paul's not even exempting himself from that. So love serves as an activation for all spiritual gifts when you want them for the right reasons. The Corinthian church shows us you can have them. You can have them and you can think that you're really good, that you got it figured out because you have them. Or you can have them and think you're really good and have it figured out because your church has them. You can, you can feel that way, but they won't serve their purpose to build up without love. And our whole reason for wanting them is to benefit the body. So we've got to have that foundation of loving like Jesus loves. And this is far from the only place where the context of the body and love, as well as other elements of Christ-like character, accompany these conversations about spiritual gifts. Uh, I've got a graph here from the Bible Project, which just highlights where all these lists are located in the New Testament There's one here in Romans chapter 12. We just went through the one in 1 Corinthians. There's a second one in 1 Corinthians. Then you've got one in Ephesians and one that is more generalized in 1 Peter. Look at how how different they all are. Going back to the first one, this is what I was talking about in terms of that order of importance thing. They're all different and the orders are different and things are inserted and things are left out. So these are all the places where the lists are located. And I just wanted to go through, as I finish up here, and show you around each one of these lists what the scripture is saying within the same chapter, within the same train of thought. Let's just look what else is happening in Romans chapter 12 around this spiritual gift list. This is what it says. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving with generosity. Leading with diligence. Showing mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. So there you go. He mentions love right off the bat there and with these spiritual gifts. And he goes on into this very practical list of character qualities and behavior. Like, this is how you should conduct yourself. And again, 
the character of Christ is, is for all of us. That's what we're all being built up into by the transformation of the Holy Spirit. That's our sanctification process. And um, that doesn't take any special gifting or talent. That's just part of us submitting to the Lord. And that is sandwiched right in here with this spiritual gifts list. We already did 1 Corinthians. We already looked at that. Well, this looks like more from Romans. I'll just go forward. So here's Ephesians 4. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. So it's all for the building up of the body in love, and it's all connected together. Each individual part works together building itself up in love by the proper working of all of those parts. So he follows it up with even more practical character things. Therefore, this is a little bit further on in chapter 4, but he he describes the old self, and he says, put that off. Put on the new self. And this is the new self description. Therefore, putting away, put away, lying, speak the truth, Each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, and don't give the devil an opportunity. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands, so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need, so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you, along with all malice, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. So you can see, like, there's all these listings of all these character quality traits and all these behavior components that sound to me to really echo 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And they're all right here with the spiritual gifts. It's all one big package. This is the fruit that you want to see when someone is prophesying to you. <laughs> and that, that's the fruit that proves that the tree itself is good, is these things. So the last one we'll look at is here in First Peter. And um, this is more generalized, and it's a little shorter. Then the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining, just as each one has received a gift. Use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. So whoever serves is equated with gifts. Whoever speaks is equated with gifts. But he says, above all, maintain constant love for one another. That's like the glue 
That's the context that is so important to any spiritual gift is that love piece. So I would pose it to you that if you desire the gift of prophecy or any gift, really, and you should, that you should ask yourself, what is my love like? Um, That's something we can all submit to in the Lord. I'm not trying to say that everyone's terrible or that there's just like a real problem. But that's something that we could all submit to the Lord on. Um, that's always something that we can grow in. So if you want to speak to someone in the spirit for their edification, if that's something that you desire, how do you speak to them or about them in normal circumstances? Like, what's your talk like then? I would say that striving to speak to and about your brothers and sisters with love, with the love of Jesus, under normal circumstances, can be a preparation for you to speak to them in very spiritually powerful ways. You know, if we submit to the Lord in that love component and grow in that and watch what our words are like about people under normal circumstances, then um, we're much more trustworthy to speak to people in ways that are very spiritually significant and powerful. Let's pray. Lord, um, I pray that you would uh, come to each one here, that you would be speaking to each of us powerfully about how you want to manifest yourself through each of us for the better of the whole body, Lord. I pray that you would help us to work together in interdependence to support one another in the building up and growth of the entire body, Lord. I pray that you would work that powerfully here, that you would be glorified, that each of us would look more and more like you, Lord. Show us how to do that. There's so many people and so many instructions that are trying to tell us how to do that. There's so many conflicting opinions, Lord. I just pray that yours would come through, that you would speak to us, that we would surrender and submit to you, and that you would be able to have your way, Lord. I pray that you would keep that pure, And that the motivations and intentions of humans that run afoul of your way, Lord, that those would come to nothing. And that it would just all be you, Lord. Help us to steward these things correctly, Lord, in a way that glorifies you, in a way that is loving to anyone that walks through these doors and that just proclaims your name, Lord. Pray that you would speak to each one about the way that you're working in them, Lord, that you would stir them up. And that they would just operate in your power, Lord. And we just thank you for all that you're doing, all you've done, and how you lead us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.